you're listening to All the Backlist, a weekly show about books that are not new. I'm your host, Kelly Jensen, and this is the June 10th, 2022 edition, and today I'm going to tell you about two very different nonfiction titles that, despite being different, have a lot of really interesting, similar themes to one another. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high-stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. So first is Sundown Towns by James Lowen. I am really fascinated by small town history. And last year went down a rabbit hole about Cairo, Illinois. It's a really depressed town at the bottom of the state. And it has a really terrible racial history. This is stuff that I knew. But reading about it and thinking about Isabel Wilkerson's The Warmth of Other Suns, she specifically wrote about Cairo. And she wrote about... Cicero, Illinois, too, which is a town not far from where I am. And these things came together in my head and finally pushed me to pick up a book that both had referenced at some point, and that book is Sundown Towns. So Sundown Towns, if the term is new to you, are places where Black people could in theory live and work during the day, but if they did not leave town before the sunset, it was possible and in a lot of cases likely they would not come out alive. These towns emerged in an era when Black families began to migrate north from southern states, and for the most part, these towns existed in northern states. They were everywhere, but the bulk of them were in the north, not in what Lowen calls the traditional south. 
Illinois was one of the worst and one of the most prolific where these towns were, um, including the notorious town of Anna. Lowen offers a look at that town in depth, as well as several other Illinois towns, as he himself is a native of Illinois. But it's not limited to Illinois. The book offers a wide range of sundown towns, how they came to exist, and the variations among them when it came to how they advertised that they were sundown or if they advertised at all. In some communities, there were signs, and in others, you simply had to know and be aware of just how unsafe it was. Beyond being this really disturbing look at American social and human geographic history, Lowen's book explores how white Americans treated their black neighbors or co-workers within these communities. So, for example, in many towns, and a good example would be uh, Chicago's North Shore community of Kenilworth, it was well known that black people worked within the multi-million dollar homes of white people, but when the census would tally, it would be an all-white town. Where and how black people lived was nothing that the community worried about since they retained their distinction as all white. In other communities, there would be one or two black families allowed to live within the limits, but those individuals lived there because they served a distinct purpose. Um, In some, they were the models of what white people wanted black people to be and therefore could be kind of like, you know, the the stereotypical black friend uh, that we see now. And then in other communities, these black individuals would perform a job no white person wanted to do, and it was often a dangerous job. So an example that Lowen gives is one who was a chimney sweep. Lowen died last year, and this book published in the early 2000s, so we won't see an updated edition from him, but it's the kind of disturbing nonfiction that once you read it, you start to see these same scenarios playing out today, and you can understand why some communities you're familiar with are the way that they are. For me personally, the most fascinating thing when I finished this book was thinking about how many of the historic sundown towns, some of which operated that way until the 1990s by practice, are now hotspots when it comes to book censorship. So, for example, Forsyth County, Georgia is one of them, um, and it's one of the few southern sundown counties that Lowen talks about. But it's also a hotspot for book censorship right now of titles by and about people of color and queer people. Why is it that there are communities in other states outside Forsyth County, where we're seeing similar things. It's been fascinating to think about that book, think about some of the examples given, and then watch where there are heavy concentrations of book challenges right now. The reality is, in many places, the sundown practice still continues, even if it's not explicit. And it's instead passed implicitly through measures such as book bans, legislature that favors cisgender white Christian individuals, and more. So if you want to learn about another chapter of America's racist history, you'll want to pick up Sundown Towns by James Lowen. The second title I want to highlight today is called From a Whisper to a Rallying Cry, The Killing of Vincent Chen and the Trial that Galvanized the Asian American Movement by Paula Yu. So for readers who want a book that lies at the intersection of true crime and social justice, use YA nonfiction is such a great pick. Uh, This book follows the murder of a young Chinese-American Vincent Chin in Detroit in 1982 by two white men, Robert Ronald Evans and Michael Nitz. What began as a fight at a dance club sparked a series of legal trials where racism lied at the heart of the murder at a time when anti-Asian sentiment in Detroit was high, especially among those in and near the auto industry. Uh, Many 
believe that this crime happened because of that. A series of trials were able to happen because of Vincent's mother, Lily, really advocating for her son and helping spearhead social justice movements among and for Asian Americans. This book, while initially may not seem like it's YA nonfiction, it is. It's a read that so many teens and adults will love because of how it ties together crime and social justice. But it's also this really fascinating story of family secrets. The book is framed around Vincent's fiance's son, who never knew his mother lost her first love to violence. And when he discovers this, he unravels a whole history of his mom, his family, and Asian American activism that he never knew about before. So use research is really, really good, and the narrative is engaging. It is not in any way an easy read, and it's a reminder, too, that 1982 was not that long ago. The end of this particular book does a really great job of tying in these events to today's anti-Asian sentiments. I wanted to include this book with Lowen's for a few reasons. Uh, first, neither of these books ended that long ago. And in fact, both took place within my lifetime. I'm an elder millennial. Um, but both books also highlight the reality that racism occurs outside the traditional South and that there's a long history of racism and racial brutality, be it physical or psychological or both, in the North. And both books also share these lesser known histories that still resonate today. I won't say either are enjoyable, uh, but they are really important and really vital. And there's really no better time to dig in than now. And I realized I didn't even tell you the name of the second book again. So we're going to hit that again. And that is From a Whisper to a Rallying Cry, The Killing of Vincent Chen and the Trial that Galvanized the Asian American Movement by Paula Yu. Thank you so much to our sponsor and thank you to our audio editor, Jen Zink. And thank you to you for listening. For more recs and general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. You can find a list of books I mentioned today in the show notes by visiting bookriot.com slash all the books. Remember, if you're a fan of all the books and all the backlists and you want to show us some love, please leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We appreciate your review and your reviews help other book lovers find us. If you want to find me, I am on Twitter at Veronica Kelly Mars. In the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading.